Welcome to Mindset with Tom McNulty, a podcast program featuring behavioral health, neurology, and the integration of medical and behavioral care. That's the focus of our program. We're also very excited to announce that Dent Neurologic Institute, the largest neurology practice in the country, has joined us as a community education supporter. Uh, Dent is celebrating its 60th anniversary in the region, yet they see patients from all over the world because of the strength of their programs. We'll also be talking a great deal about Dent's behavioral health program, and that's going to be the focus of our program today. So we're delighted to have Mike with us, and Mike is going to tell us a great deal about what's going on in the behavioral health programs at Dent. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Tom. So my name is Mike Asbeck. I'm a psychiatric PA who is doctorally trained, and I work in the psychiatry department here at Dent. My title and role here is I'm the Associate Director of Interventional Psychiatry, which means that I get to oversee a lot of the innovative and cutting-edge treatment that we are now offering for patients that are struggling with mental health. I also see patients for more traditional behavioral health medication management, um, just a little bit about DENT. DENT is one of the largest outpatient neuroscience centers in the country. We see um, several hundred thousand patients every year, and we have 70-plus providers at this point in many clinical trials. So it's a really cool, innovative place where our mission is very much aligned to be cutting edge and do everything we can to bring results to patients. And I understand, too, from your history, which I understand 60 years this year, so congratulations on that that you do have a history of drawing people from all over the world for some of the areas of expertise that Dent uh, specializes in. I think that's one of the coolest places about some place like Dent, and certainly there's other areas of excellence like that, is that when you reach a point where you are nationally known as one of these centers of excellence, you draw in patients from all over the world, but you may also draw in top talent. People understand that Dent has a mission that is very patient-focused, that is always striving to innovate, and it's really fun to be part of that. Let's talk about the innovation, and you mentioned the word interventional, which I think a lot of folks might say, that sounds cardiac, that sounds um, intrusive, that sounds like arthroscopic surgery or some other intervention that is going to hurt. Uh, for, our, for our viewers and listeners, um, help them understand the difference between the traditional picture of, of uh, therapy and psychiatry that we think we know and what interventional psychiatry brings to the table? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the term interventional psychiatry is a new one. So even people in healthcare may not be overly familiar with it. Before I answer that, though, I'm going to take a step back. I think traditionally we may think of mental health as maybe more Freudian in the sense of you go and you lay on a couch and you talk about whether your parents loved you. And certainly there is a role, there is a place for that, but as medicine evolves, our understanding of the brain, our understanding of mental illness continues to evolve and adapt as well. And there's an understanding now that mental health really has significant biologic underpinnings. And when I say that, what I mean is that we have genetic alterations. There are chemical changes that are occurring within the brain that are leading to these symptoms. So more and more, we can view mental health as any other medical illness. This is why we have a behavioral health division in a neurologic practice, because this really is a brain disease, not a disease of character or a disease of moral shortcoming. 
And this has allowed us to continue to move forward in the treatments that we offer. So interventional psychiatry is kind of the ultimate culmination of that. It's the opportunity to take that increased understanding of brain biology and develop treatments that are more efficient, that are more effective, and at times can even be more focused on just treating the episodes of mental health instead of managing the symptoms chronically or long-term. Are there certain mental health conditions that respond better to interventional psychiatry? And I guess I'm throwing in your lap the full range from schizophrenia to two weeks of depression because my wife died. Sure. So interventional psychiatry is typically, um, we would consider it to be more procedurally based. And as of right now, most of the treatments that have been available for patients are focused on severe episodes or treatment refractory depression, treatment refractory anxiety, or OCD. So usually these are patients that have tried and failed multiple medications and are looking for options that are maybe a little bit more novel or innovative. Right now, unfortunately, we don't have interventional options for schizophrenia, but some of the treatments that we offer for depression, such as IV ketamine or even um, intranasal ketamine, have had some early research demonstrating that they may, may even have benefit for those other aspects of severe mental illness. You mentioned ketamine. I think a lot of our audience would admit they don't know what ketamine is. So could you bring that down to... Sure. To a level that they can understand that it's presenting as a new option that's going to be very beneficial. Yeah, so ketamine is very interesting. It's actually an old school anesthesia drug that has maybe had new life breathed into it as a potential treatment for depression. So ketamine has been around since the 1960s, and it was actually an anesthesia med that was derived from PCP. So we consider it a dissociative anesthetic. About 20 to 25 years ago, researchers stumbled across the fact that low-dosage ketamine given intravenously can have a potent and rapid antidepressant effect. Over the past 20 to 25 years, more and more research has been done that continues to reaffirm that depression can be treated with ketamine. And the thing that makes it exciting is twofold. One is that IV ketamine, when given to a patient with severe depression, works very rapidly. About half of responders will see improvements in their depressive symptoms in 24 hours. We have no other treatments that offer that rapid of a response. But also it's exciting because it's a novel mechanism of action. Traditionally, we think of antidepressant treatments as working on serotonin, dopamine, or norepinephrine. Ketamine actually works on a chemical called glutamate, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. Up until this time, we didn't even know that glutamate had a role in depression. So it's exciting to see these innovative breakthroughs occurring, but then also to offer hope for patients that maybe have tried many of these serotonin-based antidepressants without success. That's a good point. I wanted to ask you as you were talking, at what stage when someone uh, presents to you, would you introduce this as the treatment of choice? Because as you know, historically, what we've always done is say, uh, you know, try a little imipramine back in the day. Um, then it went to uh, Zoloft and, and, and other medications. And even with ECT treatment, those were for patients who had no response to more traditional approaches. So what, at what point in a person's depression would you introduce this and say this is the way to go? From an academic perspective, we typically define treatment-resistant depression to be failure of at least two antidepressants. And this is based on a study that was done in 2006 called the STAR-D. 
And if you work in mental health, everybody has heard about this study. But for people that may be listening that are not in healthcare, the STAR-D was a real-world trial that looked at antidepressant response. And about half the patients were in a primary care setting, half were in a psychiatric setting. So just as you would see in the real world. Within this, what they found is that your first-line treatment, so if you're depressed, you go to your doctor and you get an antidepressant, the likelihood that you'll achieve a remission with that antidepressant is about 37%. If you don't have success with that first medication and you go to your second-line therapy, the likelihood of having success drops below 30%. If you get to treatment number three, unfortunately, the likelihood of achieving remission from your depression drops to 19%. So it gets quite abysmal after we've tried and failed two meds. Moving beyond that, the likelihood of achieving response is about one in five. To give a point of comparison, most research studies peg ketamine to have a rate of response of anywhere to 60 to 70%, depending on the study. So a drastic improvement compared to the treatment as usual, which would just be to keep hammering people with the same antidepressant and hoping different results. Now, do you you recommend this... um approach in conjunction with therapy so that if there are lifestyle issues that are impacting the person's mood, happiness, whatever's going on, that you know the drug can't address, uh, do you recommend that in conjunction with traditional psychotherapy? Correct. It's no different than someone with diabetes. If you have diabetes, we would not try to treat the illness by just throwing insulin at you. We would want to look to make those lifestyle changes, eat healthier, exercise. And mental health is no different. We consider it the, what we call the biopsychosocial model, meaning that there's really a three-headed monster within mental health. The biologic side is what we try and address with medications. But the psychosocial component of mental health is equally as important. We always need to make sure that we are taking the all-of-the-above approach when we treat mental health. So in addition to medication, whether it be antidepressants or even using an interventional psychiatric service such as ketamine, we always encourage our patients to be doing that in conjunction with psychotherapy, meeting with a therapist regularly to discuss family stressors, to discuss job dissatisfaction, all the other things that may be contributing to their struggles, but also make those lifestyle changes, regular exercise, good sleep, good diet. All of these have been demonstrated to have a drastic positive impact on mental health. We want to take an all-of-the-above approach with these patients. Mm-hmm. When you see a patient for the first time, what kind of information are you trying to gather from them to kind of create a picture of what would be best for them? I think when patients come for their first visit, the big thing that we want to do is make them comfortable. So often when patients come in to see psychiatry, they're nervous. They may have an idea of what mental health treatment looks like in their head from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest and they're scared that we're going to lock them up. So I think step number one is just to establish a rapport with the patient. Hear their story. Why are you here? What brought you here? Very often these are patients that may have been suffering for years. And I think it's really important for us to learn their story their narrative, but also what changed that led them to seek help or reach a point where they wanted to seek treatment. The other thing that's really important is finding out what the patient's goals are. In mental health especially, we never want to assume that we know what the patient is looking to achieve. Everybody's going to be different. Maybe someone's goal is to return to work. Maybe another person's goal is just simply to get out of bed each day. So we always want to make sure that we're clear that the patient and the provider are on the same page of what is going on, but then also what the plan or what the goals are to achieve that. That's outstanding. Um, When it comes to uh, lining up 
uh, the treatment for them. Um, how do you introduce medications that may, they may not have heard of? Uh, because we know, and as you, you know, and I'm sure all your colleagues here know, people are constantly now coming in with articles from the internet and from Women's Day magazine and Family Circle. <laughs> You name it, they find an article and come in and say, I think I want this, you know, I need this. So how do you introduce something that sounds a little scary in the beginning? I think one of the greatest things of working at Dent is not only the fact that this place is innovative and always open to new opportunities to push patients forward or bring better outcomes, but it's also an organization that highlights and emphasizes education. And that's not only from a clinician perspective, that we always make sure that we're moving forward in terms of what is available, but also from a patient perspective, too. We want to use those opportunities when patients are coming forward with maybe research from Dr. Google. Mm -hmm. Or as a clinician, if I'm introducing a new treatment that they may never heard of, that's a great opportunity to explain to them not only how the treatment works, but also what is going on with their current condition and why we think this would be a good option. I think in modern medicine, we always just have to assume that everything we tell a patient, they're going to go home and Google anyways. Right. So, you know, gone are the days where we can, as healthcare clinicians, say, this is your treatment, and then just expect that the patient will adhere to whatever we recommend. So with that, I think that's a good thing. I think more information is always better. I want to make sure that I'm setting the patient up to do their own research, to be an advocate for themselves, to go get a second opinion if they need it, to go look online and help them find the right resources to know if this is going to be the right treatment. So I think education and empowerment for the patient is really the key. That's important. As you know, a lot of things have happened in behavioral health, whether it's psychiatry or addiction, the kind of crisis generated. They happen on a Friday night, a Saturday night, and many of those folks, for their own safety and stability, end up in an inpatient program uh, for safety reasons, for evaluative reasons, but also to get them stabilized a little bit to begin an outpatient regimen. How do you uh, accommodate that? Uh, because, and here's where I'm going with the question, we live in a world right now where access to behavioral health is severely um, hurting right now because of the workforce shortage that is across the board in all healthcare. We know that, but behavioral health, the need is arising rapidly, which we would think that's a good thing. People are accepting the need for treatment, but when they make the phone call to get treatment, they find out it can often be two months. Well, you put somebody who has just come out of a psychiatric hospital that first of all needed to be in a psychiatric hospital for stabilization, and you're gonna tell them, hey, stay, stay uh, stabilized for two months and then we'll see you. How does Dent respond to that opportunity in the community? It's a universal problem. So there's not a simple solution. If we had figured it out, I think uh, you know we would have shouted it from the rooftops. Right. Accessibility in healthcare, certainly, but in mental health, is very difficult. I think one of the ways that we can help solve that is continuing to train and equip providers to be available so that we don't have months-long waiting lists for patients to get in. There's a huge divide, just as you described, where patients may not necessarily need to be in the hospital, but they're not doing well and they need to be seen sooner than months away. And that's a hard place to be because most behavioral health clinics 
don't have the manpower to right. see people as walk-in visits or to see people on same day. So there's not an easy solution to it. But internally here at Dent, one of the ways that we're combating that is we're embracing a team-based care model. So we have PAs, NPs, physicians, therapists, and that allows us to offer care at various levels of acuity and expertise, and that can help improve accessibility for patients, but then also continuing to try and innovate how we deliver care not only in the sense of new medications that may have better outcomes, which can reduce the acuity of the condition, but also different ways that we can deliver care to patients to meet them where they're at. As, as I know many people are aware, since COVID, telehealth has become right. not universally accepted, but readily available. And it's real time. It is. And Dent has embraced that wholeheartedly. We offer a significant portion of our patients will receive their care through telehealth. And that allows us to see them without worrying about childcare, without worrying about missing a day of work, without worrying about getting to the office if they don't have reliable transportation. So that's another key innovative thing that we can do to offer better accessibility for our patients. That's wonderful. What other innovative things um, are going on within the neuropsych department and the two divisions? I know you have two divisions within uh, behavioral health. I think the from a medicine standpoint, there's just it's an incredible time to be in mental health as a clinician. There's some really exciting things coming down the pharmaceutical pipeline. There's a new medication that is actually a neurosteroid that is going in front of the FDA for review this summer, so I think August of 2023. And this drug, at least in the clinical trials, offers the promise of a two-week treatment for a depressive episode with no continued follow-up. So that may change, though, the way that we treat depression in the sense that if someone is having a depressive episode, we do a two-week course of treatment, and then if they improve, they don't continue with an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. So that'll be really interesting to see. Um, outside of pharmaceuticals, there's a lot of research interest for psilocybin, which is psychedelic mushrooms. Mm -hmm which were popular in the 60s and have now come full circle. So there's a couple pharmaceutical companies that are looking into clinical trials for that. Everything is looking favorable. They're continuing to move down the development pipeline. So there's a lot of new, innovative, novel treatments that are hopefully coming within the next few years that offer a lot of promise and a lot of excitement. So we're moving away, not that they are being replaced, but we're moving away from the traditional antidepressant model where everything worked on serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. And now we're finally, after 50 years of stasis, identifying different opportunities, different pharmacologic targets to treat these mental health conditions. Do you have the capacity to work with a patient who has both a mental illness and an addiction? I think it's essential if you work in mental health to have the capabilities of treating both. We call these dual diagnosis patients. And the reason for it is so often patients that struggle with mental health have very high rates of addiction. They may try and self-medicate with alcohol or with opiates. And conversely, substance abuse can very often lead to depression or mental health struggles. So we do offer what we call medication-assisted treatment, which is different treatment opportunities for patients that are struggling with opiate use, um, also alcohol. While we don't do specific addiction counseling here, we always partner with counselors within the community to make sure that we're taking that all-of-the-above treatment approach. But once again, we've really identified this as a community need 
and have prioritized innovation in cutting-edge care, not only for mental health, but also for addiction treatment as well. Right. As I mentioned at the top of the show, part of my mission for Mindset is to promote the uh, integration of medical and behavioral health. So that brings into question, do you actively pursue communication with primary care physicians about how their patient is doing? Because as you know, they may be prescribing certain medications for other illnesses that that patient has. You're prescribing new and innovative treatments, but are the two talking so that the patient is getting the benefit of the team approach that you mentioned? Absolutely. I think communication, interprofessional communication is one of the most important parts of modern healthcare. As medicine is becoming more complicated, the primary care provider's role is changing, but is also increasing in importance because very often they are the quarterback that is the, the point of communication between multiple specialists. The good news is with electronic medical records, communication between different specialties or between different medical offices is getting smoother. Um, some of those friction points are getting eliminated. At Dent, we do always prioritize communication with our referring clinicians, very often the primary care, to make sure that those um, conversations are happening. Because you're right, if, if there's not a good communication back and forth, a two-way street, you may end up with medications that contradict each other or side effects because of a medication that one or the other wasn't aware of. So it is a difficult thing in healthcare because unfortunately a lot of different health systems may have different electronic medical records, different policies and procedures, but thankfully technology is providing solutions and improving in that front. That's great. Any final thoughts that you have for our listeners about the multitude of things that you share today? A lot of great innovations here and the fact that Dent is housed with so many neurologists whose mission is to know the brain and know know what's going on, that to have a behavioral health component really is a, a wonderful wraparound for the patients that are being seen for other neurologic disorders here. But any final messages you might want to send to our listeners about why this information today is so important? I think the key takeaway for listeners would be that if you are struggling with something mental health related, and maybe you've tried treatment with varying degrees of success, there are other options out there. So often patients may try an antidepressant and it doesn't work or they have side effects and they may get discouraged and not seek further treatment. A lot of those patients may simply be suffering in silence. If you have struggled with mental health, speak up, talk to your primary care provider, get linked up with a counselor, see a psychiatrist, get a second opinion. I think the key takeaway is that there's still always hope. So many patients may not realize that and every day, more research and more innovation is occurring that's bringing more hope to people that maybe have lost it. Wonderful. Mike, an outstanding show today. I'm very impressed with what's happening here at Denver. Very impressed with your uh, passion for the population that you serve. Uh, often the last on the totem pole sometimes. And, uh, so many advocates have fought for people to have greater access to top flight behavioral health care, and you're offering here at Dent not only the behavioral health care that they can get in other places, but supported by a wealth of knowledge and experience from the neurology team here that can be uh, accessible to you if you have any questions or concerns about what might be going on with someone 
that you can't quite see by just doing a visual uh, look. So I'm very impressed with what you're doing, Mike, and uh, appreciate your time today on Mindset and wish you all the best here at Denton Neurologic Institute. Thanks, Tom. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to another informative program of Mindset with Tom McNulty. We thank our regular sponsors, Dent Neurologic Institute, Success Stories, and Mindset is brought to you by Spotlight on Hope Incorporated. Tune in again for another informative session of Mindset with Tom McNulty. Thanks for listening.